Section 3 of Volume 1E of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Theodulf. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume, Volume 1E, Section 3, Chapter 50, Part 3. Prompted by these plausible motives, Charles was determined immediately to dissolve the Parliament. When this resolution was known, the House of Peers, whose compliant behavior entitled them to some authority with him, endeavored to interpose, and they petitioned him that he would allow the Parliament to sit some time longer. Not a moment longer, cried the king hastily, and he soon after ended the session by a dissolution. As this measure was foreseen, the commons took care to finish and disperse their remonstrance, which they intended as a justification of their conduct to the people. The king likewise, on his part, published a declaration in which he gave the reasons of his disagreement with the Parliament and of their sudden dissolution before they had time to conclude any one act. These papers furnished the partisans on both sides with ample matter of apology or of recrimination. But all impartial men judged that the commons, though they had not as yet violated any law, yet by their unpliableness and independence were insensibly changing, perhaps improving, the spirit and genius, while they preserved the form, of the Constitution, and that the King was acting altogether without any plan, running on in a road surrounded on all sides with the most dangerous precipices, and concerting no proper measures either for submitting to the obstinacy of the Commons or for subduing it. After a breach with the Parliament, which seemed so difficult to repair, the only rational counsel which Charles could pursue was immediately to conclude a peace with Spain, and to render himself, as far as possible, independent of his people, who discovered so little inclination to support him, or rather who seemed to have formed a determined resolution to abridge his authority. Nothing could be more easy in the execution than this measure nor more agreeable to his own and to national interest. But, besides the treaties and engagements which he had entered into with Holland and Denmark, the king's thoughts were at this time averse to pacific councils. There are two circumstances in Charles's character, seemingly incompatible, which attended him during the whole course of his reign, and were in part the cause of his misfortunes. He was very steady, and even obstinate in his purpose, and he was easily governed by reason of his facility and of his deference to men much inferior to himself, both in morals and understanding. His great ends he inflexibly maintained, but the means of attaining them he readily received from his ministers and favorites, though not all was fortunate in his choice. The violent, impetuous Buckingham inflamed with a desire of revenge for injuries which he himself had committed, and animated with a love of glory which he had not talents to merit, had at this time, notwithstanding his profuse licentious life, acquired an invincible ascendant over the virtuous and gentle temper of the king.
the new counsels which charles had mentioned to the parliament were now to be tried in order to supply his necessities had he possessed any military force on which he could rely it is not improbable that he had at once taken off the mask and governed without any regard to parliamentary privileges so high an idea had he received of kingly prerogative and so contemptible a notion of the rights of those popular assemblies from which he very naturally thought he had met with such ill usage but his army was new levied ill paid and worse disciplined no wise superior to the militia who were much more numerous and who were in a great measure under the influence of the country gentlemen it behoved him therefore to proceed cautiously and to cover his enterprises under the pretence of ancient precedents which considering the great authority commonly enjoyed by his predecessors could not be wanting to him a commission was openly granted to compound with the catholics and agree for dispensing with the penal laws enacted against them by this expedient the king both filled his coffers and gratified his inclination of giving indulgence to these religionists but he could not have employed any branch of prerogative which would have been more disagreeable or would have appeared more exceptionable to his protestant subjects from the nobility he desired assistance from the city he required a loan of one hundred thousand pounds the former contributed slowly but the latter covering themselves under many pretenses and excuses gave him at last a flat refusal in order to equip a fleet a distribution by order of council was made to all the maritime towns and each of them was required with the assistance of the adjacent counties to arm so many vessels as were appointed them the city of london was rated at twenty ships this is the first appearance in charles's reign of ship money a taxation which had once been imposed by elizabeth but which afterwards when carried some steps further by charles created such violent discontents of some loans were required to others the way of benevolence was proposed methods supported by precedent but always invidious even in times more submissive and compliant in the most absolute governments such expedients would be regarded as irregular and unequal these councils for supply were conducted with some moderation till news arrived that a great battle was fought between the king of denmark and count tilly the imperial general in which the former was totally defeated money now more than ever became necessary in order to repair so great a breach in the alliance and to support a prince who was so nearly allied to charles and who had been engaged in the war chiefly by the intrigues solicitations and promises of the english monarch after some deliberation an act of council was passed importing that as the urgency of affairs admitted not the way of parliament the most speedy equal and convenient method of supply was by a general loan from the subject according as every man was assessed in the rolls of the last subsidy that precise sum was required which each would have paid had the vote of four subsidies passed into a law but care was taken to inform the people that the sums exacted were not to be called subsidies but loans had any doubt remained whether forced loans however authorized by precedent and even by statute were a violation of liberty and must by necessary consequence 
render all parliaments superfluous this was the proper expedient for opening the eyes of the whole nation the example of henry the eighth who had once in his arbitrary reign practised a like method of levying a regular supply was generally deemed a very insufficient authority the commissioners appointed to levy these loans among other articles of secret instruction were enjoined if any shall refuse to lend and shall make delays or excuses and persist in his obstinacy that they examine him upon oath whether he has been dealt with to deny or refuse to lend or make an excuse for not lending who has dealt with him and what speeches or persuasions were used to that purpose and that they also shall charge every such person in his majesty's name upon his allegiance not to disclose to any one what his answer was so violent an inquisitorial power so impracticable an attempt at secrecy were the objects of indignation and even in some degree of ridicule that religious prejudices might support civil authority sermons were preached by sibthorpe and manwaring in favor of the general loan and the court industriously spread them over the kingdom passive obedience was there recommended in its full extent the whole authority of the state was represented as belonging to the king alone and all limitations of law and a constitution were rejected as seditious and impious so openly was this doctrine espoused by the court that archbishop abbott a popular and virtuous prelate was because he refused to license sibthorpe's sermon suspended from the exercise of his office banished from london and confined to one of his country seats abbott's principles of liberty and his opposition to buckingham had always rendered him very ungracious at court and had acquired him the character of a puritan for it is remarkable that this party made the privileges of the nation as much a part of their religion as the church party did the prerogatives of the crown and nothing tended further to recommend among the people who always take opinions in the lump the whole system and all the principles of the former sect the king soon found by fatal experience that this engine of religion which with so little necessity was introduced into politics falling under more fortunate management was played with the most terrible success against him while the king instigated by anger and necessity thus employed the whole extent of his prerogative the spirit of the people was far from being subdued throughout england many refused these loans some were even active in encouraging their neighbors to insist upon their common rights and privileges by warrant of the council these were thrown into prison most of them with patience submitted to confinement or applied by petition to the king who commonly released them five gentlemen alone sir thomas darnell sir john corbett sir walter earl sir john heveningham and sir edmund hampton had spirit enough at their own hazard and expense to defend the public liberties and to demand releasement not as a favor from the court but as their due by the laws of their country no particular cause was assigned of their commitment the special command alone of the king and council was pleaded and it was asserted that by law this was not sufficient reason for refusing bail or releasement to the prisoners this question was brought to a solemn trial before the king's bench 
and the whole kingdom was attentive to the issue of a cause which was of much greater consequence than the event of many battles by the debates on this subject it appeared beyond controversy to the nation that their ancestors had been so jealous of personal liberty as to secure it against arbitrary power in the crown by six several statutes and by an article of the great charter itself the most sacred foundation of the laws and the constitution but the kings of england who had not been able to prevent the enacting of these laws had sufficient authority when the tide of liberty was spent to obstruct their regular execution and they deemed it superfluous to attempt the formal repeal of statutes which they found so many expedients and pretenses to elude turbulent and seditious times frequently occurred when the safety of the people absolutely required the confinement of factious leaders and by the genius of the old constitution the prince of himself was accustomed to assume every branch of prerogative which was found necessary for the preservation of public peace and of his own authority expediency at other times would cover itself under the appearance of necessity and in proportion as precedents multiplied the will alone of the sovereign was sufficient to supply the place of expediency of which he constituted himself the sole judge in an age and nation where the power of a turbulent nobility prevailed and where the king had no settled military force the only means that could maintain public peace was the exertion of such prompt and discretionary powers in the crown and the public itself had become so sensible of the necessity that those ancient laws in favor of personal liberty while often violated had never been challenged or revived during the course of near three centuries though rebellious subjects had frequently in the open field resisted the king's authority no person had been found so bold while confined and at mercy as to set himself in opposition to regal power and to claim the protection of the constitution against the will of the sovereign it was not till this age when the spirit of liberty was universally diffused when the principles of government were nearly reduced to a system when the tempers of men more civilized seemed less to require those violent exertions of prerogative that these five gentlemen above mentioned by a noble effort ventured in this national cause to bring the question to a final determination and the king was astonished to observe that a power exercised by his predecessors almost without interruption was found upon trial to be directly opposite to the clearest laws and supported by few undoubted precedents in courts of judicature these had scarcely in any instance refused bail upon commitments by special command of the king because the persons committed had seldom or never dared to demand it at least to insist on their demand sir randolph crewe chief justice had been displaced as unfit for the purposes of the court sir nicholas hyde esteemed more obsequious had obtained that high office yet the judges by his direction went no further than to remand the gentleman to prison and refuse the bail which was offered heath the attorney-general insisted that the court in imitation of the judges in the thirty-fourth of elizabeth should enter a general judgment that no bail could be granted upon a commitment by the king or council 
but the judges wisely declined complying the nation they saw was already to the last degree exasperated in the present disposition of men's minds universal complaints prevailed as if the kingdom were reduced to slavery and the most invidious prerogative of the crown it was said that of imprisoning the subject is here openly and solemnly and in numerous instances exercised for the most invidious purpose in order to extort loans or rather subsidies without consent of parliament but this was not the only hardship of which the nation thought they had reason to complain the army which had made the fruitless expedition to cadiz was dispersed throughout the kingdom and money was levied upon the counties for the payment of their quarters the soldiers were billeted upon private houses contrary to custom which required that in all ordinary cases they should be quartered in inns and public houses those who had refused or delayed the loan were sure to be loaded with a great number of these dangerous and disorderly guests many too of low condition who had shown a refractory disposition were pressed into the service and enlisted in the fleet or army sir peter hayman for the same reason was dispatched on an errand to the palatinate glanville an eminent lawyer had been obliged during the former interval of parliament to accept of an office in the navy the soldiers ill-paid and undisciplined committed many crimes and outrages and much increased the public discontents to prevent these disorders martial law so requisite to the support of discipline was exercised upon the soldiers by a contradiction which is natural when the people are exasperated the outrages of the army were complained of the remedy was thought still more intolerable though the expediency if we are not rather to say the necessity of martial law had formerly been deemed of itself a sufficient ground for establishing it men now become more jealous of liberty and more refined reasoners in questions of government regarded as illegal and arbitrary every exercise of authority which was not supported by express statute or uninterrupted precedent it may safely be affirmed that except a few courtiers or ecclesiastics all men were displeased with this high exertion of prerogative and this new spirit of administration though ancient precedents were pleaded in favor of the king's measures a considerable difference upon comparison was observed between the cases acts of power however irregular might casually and at intervals be exercised by a prince for the sake of dispatch or expediency and yet liberty still subsist in some tolerable degree under his administration but where all these were reduced into a system were exerted without interruption were studiously sought for in order to supply the place of laws and subdue the refractory spirit of the nation it was necessary to find some speedy remedy or finally to abandon all hopes of preserving the freedom of the constitution nor did moderate men esteem the provocation which the king had received though great sufficient to warrant all these violent measures the commons as yet had nowise invaded his authority they had only exercised as best pleased them their own privileges was he justifiable because from one house of parliament he had met with harsh and unkind treatment to make in revenge an invasion on the rights and liberties of the whole nation 
but great was at this time the surprise of all men when charles baffled in every attempt against the austrian dominions embroiled with his own subjects unsupplied with any treasure but what he extorted by the most invidious and most dangerous measures as if the half of europe now his enemy were not sufficient for the exercise of military prowess wantonly attacked france the other great kingdom in his neighborhood and engaged at once in war against these two powers whose interests were hitherto deemed so incompatible that they could never it was thought agree either in the same friendships or enmities all authentic memoirs both foreign and domestic ascribe to buckingham's counsels this war with france and represent him as actuated by motives which would appear incredible were we not acquainted with the violence and temerity of his character the three great monarchies of europe were at this time ruled by young princes philip louis and charles who were nearly of the same age and who had resigned the government of themselves and of their kingdoms to their creatures and ministers olivares richelieu and buckingham the people whom the moderate temper or narrow genius of their princes would have allowed to remain forever in tranquillity were strongly agitated by the emulation and jealousy of the ministers above all the towering spirit of richelieu incapable of rest promised an active age and gave indications of great revolutions throughout all europe this man had no sooner by suppleness and intrigue gotten possession of the reins of government then he formed at once three mighty projects to subdue the turbulent spirits of the great to reduce the rebellious huguenots and to curb the encroaching power of the house of austria undaunted and implacable prudent and active he braved all the opposition of the french princes and nobles in the prosecution of his vengeance he discovered and dissipated all their secret cabals and conspiracies his sovereign himself he held in subjection while he exalted the throne the people while they lost their liberties acquired by means of his administration learning order discipline and renown that confused and inaccurate genius of government of which france partook in common with other european kingdoms he changed into a simple monarchy at the very time when the incapacity of buckingham encouraged the free spirit of the commons to establish in england a regular system of liberty however unequal the comparison between these ministers buckingham had entertained a mighty jealousy against richelieu a jealousy not founded on rivalship of power and politics but of love and gallantry where the duke was as much superior to the cardinal as he was inferior in every other particular end of section three chapter fifty part three Recording by Theodolf, Chicago.